the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Casey, could we could we start this episode off with a old school uh, dialing a number kind of telephone thing? There we go. I'm Ben. Hello. I mean. Hello, it's me. I've been a man for a long, long. Oh yeah, it's no. Oh, okay. I was. I thought the holding music was good enough that I was. I was going to sit there with everyone for a while. Oh, that would have been fun. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about it like that. I was just doing a little uh, telephone-related music number from uh, Todd Rundgren by way of Adele. And. You're here to listen to that holding music as well. Thanks so much for dropping by, folks. This is Ridiculous History. No, before we begin, I have to ask you something that I'm sure both you and our super producer, Casey Pegram, have heard numerous times in our meetings here. Have you ever been on hold at a conference call and there's this t- terrible song about being on hold on a telephone? Yeah, that's that's Uber conference, I think, is what you're talking about, Ben. It's like, I've been waiting <laughs> on a conference call. Well, I wonder where my friends, I wonder where my friends mm-hmm. have gone. Where do they go? It's really... And it's sort of sedate. Yeah, It's cute the first time you hear it, but then it's, it, just, it just kind of wears on you and grates on you. Yeah, it never ends. At some point, it indeterminably loops. And you're still waiting. Yeah, and it's weird because listeners peek behind the curtain. When we're not podcasting, we're on conference calls. And typically on conference calls where the people we're waiting for never show up. So we just hear that song over and over and over again. It's like a more internet trolley version of waiting for Godot. 
Yeah. And, you know, that kind of figures into uh, the story for today because there's a lot of themes in this story that are kind of pre-internet-y, aren't they, Ben? Absolutely. In, in, a, in a very prescient way, I would argue, it turns out so that we don't bury the lead too much. Back in the day, before the days of snazzy cell phones, before the days of even those awkward uh, 1980s Wall Street hotshot phones, you know what I'm talking about? Sure. For everybody, I'm, I'm miming awkwardly to Noel that this is the big antenna. Yeah, he's doing a sort of a swoop of the arm. <laughs> I'm also thinking about the ones that came in a bag. Oh, yeah, yeah. And before the days of all that stuff, when the telephone was a new, fancy, and vital invention, right? The People ran into problems. One of the big problems was infrastructure, especially in rural areas. In the early 1900s, there were so many amazing innovations. We got refrigerators, radios, electric washing machines, and so on. But one of the more simplistic innovations of the, let's say, late 1800s that played a huge role in communication for a while was, oddly enough, barbed wire. That's right. It was incredibly effective and innovative in exactly the thing that it was meant to do, which was to keep things in or not let things out. Um, <laughs> and it was patented in 1874 by Joseph Glidden. That's right. And not long after that at all, the telephone was patented in 1877. And barbed wire played a big role in helping to spread the uh, the use of the telephone to some of those rural places that did not have access to that infrastructure because Ma Bell, as it was known, had to get the most bang for her buck, right? So she was going to install those lines only in the places where they could have the most customers that were the closest together, right? Right. Therefore, cities, right? Urban populations. And we see, you know, we see a similar thing happening with telecommunications construction in rural areas of the United States, at least today. But... Once the patents, once the patents for the phone began to expire in around 1893 or so, other companies were making phones willy-nilly. Sears Roebuck made a phone. I mean, they made almost everything back then, right? They were the Costco of their time. But the point is it became much easier to purchase a telephone set. It did not, however, come with in the box a telephone line. Network even. Right, a yeah. network, yeah. And so what several enterprising farmers did is they said, well, if a wire is a wire, right, and if we can transmit sound. Is this a riddle? Yeah, right. How long is a piece of wire, right? Uh, the question they asked is, are the wires in fencing that we have already built, because barbed wire was tremendously popular and effective at preventing, you know, uh, bulls from – getting toward heifers when it wasn't breeding season. And keeping them away from China shops. And keeping them away from the important China shop industry at the time. What what they said is, uh, let's, let's give it a go. Let's see what happens if we connect the wire of a telephone to the wire on a barbed wire fence. And it turns out it worked really, really well. Uh, typically, they take a smooth wire strung from a telephone in a house or a barn to a barbed wire fence. Then it would hook to the top strand of barbed wire. Most fences had, you know, uh, at least three, maybe four strands of barbed wire. So they would only use the top one. And the telephone signal would follow the wire to whatever other telephone was connected down the line. And typically, that would be 
um, for lack of a better term, neighborhoods, because mm-hmm. these were neighborhoods the way we think of them. You know, these houses were miles and miles and miles apart from each other. Yeah. These ranches and these farms. But this network of barbed wire fencing could potentially be connected. And you, you know, you might have to do something like, uh, install a jumper to go over a road to connect to the next segment of fence that might belong to the other property, right? Yeah. And they would do that. Once they figured out how it worked and word got around, that stuff started happening, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And we have to emphasize how useful this was for people. They were they were essentially building cooperatives. And this kind of approach was not something that was foreign to farming communities at the time. They had uh, built cooperative uh, irrigation projects and, and things of that nature. This was another example of people coming together. And boom, you go, you, you're able to save a journey of miles and miles, right? You can just call up one of your neighbors and say, you know, hey, keep an eye out for this lost lamb or, hey, are we still on for Sunday dinner, you know? Yeah, or God forbid, you know, um, grandmama mm-hmm. um, has her angina, you know, <laughs> you call, instead of having to send a, a, a horse or a, a runner, mm-hmm. you just call the house down the line, and maybe there's a dock that can come a running. You know? Right, yeah, and that's a really great point because we understand that even today, communication is a, a vital part of rural life. You know, especially if you're if you're isolated, you need to have an effective means of communicating from point A to point B. And I love how you point out what happens in an emergency because. This system, as ingenious as it is, uh, it wasn't perfect, right, at all. But just like that good old-fashioned down-home ingenuity that got this system up and running in the first place, they had to come up with interesting little uh, fixes to kind of deal with the imperfect nature of this whole system, right, Ben? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, No, In an article called Before Ma Bell, Rural Telephone Systems in the West by an author named C.F. Eckhart, they noted the following – Rain and large bulls with raging hormones were the nemeses of fence line telephone systems. Apparently, it would happen not too infrequently that a bull with a high threshold of pain and intense desire to, quote, make the acquaintance of heifers in the next pasture could just ram through the uh, line, ram through the fence, such that it, it breaks the line and then they ram through the heifers. Ram through the heifers. Yeah, it's just rams on rams there. That's crazy. And they would have to have somebody come out and fix that line. And that was a little bit of an easier fix than rain. Yeah, it's true. Uh, You know, rain was a big problem because it would cause the signal to dissipate. And, uh, you know, if there was frost, they would have to wait until the frost thawed entirely to even use the system. We did not mention, though, that there would be maybe around 20 Phones connected together on one of these sure, systems. Size of the network. Size of the network. But not only that, anytime someone made a call, every single phone would ring. That's it, the other yeah, problem. It, yeah. it, it's a, called a party line. They had them like even in the eighties. I kind of remember them. You'd have them uh, in your house or in, in a neighborhood. Uh, it was, I guess, it was for fun. I can't think of what the functional reason was to do it later. But this was just an absolute. Uh, byproduct of how this system was. You, you didn't dial anybody. You know, had a number. So they would come up with these um, special rings for a family. And the phones that we're talking about were largely these uh, crank generator phones. So if a family's uh, ring code was dot, dot, dash, or, like you know, a long, long sure. short, you would do crank, 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 
you know? Right. This shows how even when the system was working perfectly as intended, it had some definitive drawbacks. In a very real sense, everybody knew what you and your neighbor were talking about. And it was considered, especially in these larger communities, maybe 20 phones or something, it was considered common courtesy not to pick up the phone and eavesdrop if you knew somebody was calling the Jorgensons and not your house. But as it turns out, quote unquote, listening in became a very, uh, a very popular activity. Yeah, it's true. And I, I did read somewhere, it was actually in a comment section on a Gizmodo article about this called Barbed Wire Fences Were an Early DIY Telephone Network. Mm-hmm. Um, folks were talking about more the party line systems of, you know, more recent years. But if anything, that would just be a kind of higher quality version of what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. And apparently the more people that are on the line, the signal starts to diminish, kind of like making a copy of a copy of a copy, I guess. Mm-hmm. And you could kind of tell when someone picked up because the signal dropped a little bit. So you could uh, kind of – people would be like, get off the line. Who's on the line? You know, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. You hear that a lot. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This cooperation made it a little easier for them to detect where a break was in the line, mm-hmm. possibly. Yeah. Right? Uh, and that's how they could find the bull uh, – I was going to say the bull breaks yeah. if we're going to make something up. But rain was a little bit more perfidious because it could soak the fence post as well. Sure. And to combat that, they needed to have insulation. So you would yeah. see like porcelain tubes. Porcel- Actually, the, the weird answer is that uh, when – especially in Texas, when uh, – huge thunderstorm came through, it would ground the entire system until things dried out. But they solved it by working with saloons, the mm. discarded beer bottles, whiskey bottles, and so on. Glass is a great electrical insulator. And so they would collect bottles from the saloons, break the necks off, whittle wooden pegs to fit into the broken bottlenecks, drill holes in the pegs, and these glass insulators got nailed to fence posts. And then you could string the wire along the insulator so that you could reliably communicate, you know. But but then, you know, it's still not perfect, but it sounds pretty cool, right? Yeah, and there's more fun little tricks, too. We're talking about emergencies. They'd have a particular ring for emergencies. They even started treating it almost like a pirate radio network in a way where um, they would have if, – if you're – maybe you someone in your household played the banjo and, and you had a little string band or something like that, you would – play into the phone and people, you know, that listening in on that would be welcome, you know, and that would be almost like a community engagement kind of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. bringing coming together with your neighbors over these at times quite large distances between households. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are some heartwarming accounts of, you know, the one guy, the first guy or first family in the neighborhood to get a radio Mm -hmm. turning into like the radio hour every 9 p.m. Here's the up to minute stories. Right. Mm -hmm. Also. Wait, I forgot. No, we should talk turkey. We should talk uh, prices because this wasn't uh, a thing that incorporated long-distance phone call charges. It didn't have any weird hidden fees. You didn't really have to sign, uh, you know, a, a binding through your contract. Yeah, it's like when I every now and then say, you know what, Ben, I think I'm going to start a cell phone company. Mm-hmm. You do say that. And then yeah. you're like, no, 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 my friend. <laughs> the time for that is past. But not during this time. This was literally like a from the ground up, no pun intended, maybe a little intended, uh, DIY telecommunications network. Yeah. By one estimate, service ran for a mere 3 to $18 a year, and that was way less than the regional phone companies charged. And the labor for maintaining these networks was supplied by volunteers because often if there's barbed wire already mm. – they would be repairing it in the course of who, regular farm work. Who are you paying, though? I don't understand that. 
um, I, th- I thought it was just kind of a cooperative, like a collective kind of thing. Right. So this would vary from cooperative to cooperative, organization to organization. Uh, let's look at one example. In the Montana East Line Telephone Association, it sounds pretty classy, right? It does. There are eight members. Seems legit. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but they had a leader who identified himself as HBS mm. in, in farming publications. And he said that he would be able to get them connected for a fee of $25 each. So, oh, so that three to 10 or whatever, that's a one-time fee. That's cool. See, Ben, I was picturing this all wrong. I was picturing that it was a straight-up cooperation between those families that lived in closest proximity. But I realize now that this uh, began to have a much wider reach, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right. Maybe it was at first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And at first was also probably a calculation of necessity more than novelty, right? So in the case of the Montana East Line Telephone Association, HBS sells uh, the following package for about 25 bucks each, a telephone set with two dry batteries and a shore ring condenser, a magneto, a lightning arrestor, a ground knob, knobs and tubes, plus 10 feet of interior wire and around 50 feet of outside drop wire that could connect to the nearest pole. And then HBS says, you know, beyond that, like if you're more than uh, 60 feet away from where that that nearest pole or wire is. Beyond that, you can use any kind of wire you have. And people did have wire laying around, you know, probably barbed wire. Yeah, in fact, in this, it, it, it started to catch on that this was a valuable commodity in these unwired um, traditionally areas. And in Arizona, in Hidalgo County, um, a new railroad that had been installed, um, some trains killed uh, somebody's bull. And the railroad company, as payment, allowed this local network to use some of their railroad signposts as jumpers for the uh, the phone network. Oh, cool. You know what? That's one of the few times that we have seen a railroad company portrayed in a positive light. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> I didn't think about that. And, you know, as it got bigger and bigger with these associations like you're talking about, things like switchboards even came into the picture, didn't they? Yeah, they would be typically in a store in the local town area or often in somebody's kitchen. And then they would have switchboard operators who had limited hours, right? So you you would – uh you would ring into the switchboard and then ask to be connected somewhere. There's another thing here. We know you mentioned earlier how these took off and, and how they, they grew quite popular at the time. By 1902, there were more than 6,000 small independent phone companies that were actually farmers mutuals. Like, you know, the farming collective or cooperative phone network. And, you know, this not only was it functional – and we have that community aspect to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in an article from Atlas Obscura, there's a really great quote from a woman named Emma Marble who was a young homesteader. We haven't really even talked about the idea of homesteading, how mm-hmm. uh, this was a thing where people were given land grants by the government uh, in order to come out and settle some of these um, more wily parts of the country in the mm-hmm. Midwest and such, right? Mm-hmm. Um 
Emma Marble in this article, who's a young homesteader in 1899 in the uh, in Arizona, um, said that the lines kept loneliness uh, at bay. Right? She said the theory was that we would answer only when our own ring sounded, but whenever the bell rang, every woman on the line rushed to a receiver. Um, and speaking of the homesteading thing, mm-hmm. there was another use where there would be uh, inspections from time to time, property inspectors or just people like uh, representatives from the government that would come and visit these homesteads to make sure they were operating uh, according to the law that granted them these pieces of land. And whenever they would uh, – someone down the line on that single dirt road leading between these these properties would see the inspector coming – those party lines would light up and everyone would know so they could get, get to work. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's cool. That's, that's an awesome fact there. And, and also, just to, just to add, we, we said limited hours about the switchboards, but I feel like we need to be clear. This, this will be a good example of how kind of ad hoc and casual this was. The switchboard usually shut down around 9 p.m., so it worked from like maybe 5.30 in the morning to 9 p.m., it was always shut down uh, around 2 or 3 p.m. on Sunday so families could go to church. And it was also shut down on Saturday night if there were a dance in town. So, you know, nobody nobody had this as a salaried job in, in these situations. And it was something that happened for the benefit of the community, like when the party line blows up and it's time to <laughs> it's time to at least look busy, right? Also, I have to say, the use of the phrase party line, it still always reminds me of those commercials from the 1990s where they're like, call and chat with interesting people. Like 900 numbers? It's a, I, I could never, when I was a kid, I could never tell if these were, you know, 900 numbers of a romantic or sexual nature or if there were really people who were just calling to be like, hey, what's up? My name's Derek. I just got to town. I want to talk to Derek. He seems <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, since we've gotten to the modern party lines, mm-hmm. let's talk about a, a little interesting tidbit that I saw about a modern use of this. You had talked about how the parallel between this time with having a hard time getting infrastructure in place in more rural areas, comparing to the, what we're experiencing now with um, other countries that are very hard to get to, mm-hmm. um, where there's a lot of poverty, and even somewhat, you know, you're seeing issues with getting high-speed internet in more rural parts of the United States. So I was reading this article on Gizmodo that I mentioned earlier, and in the comments, I found some fantastic stuff. I can't confirm this, but I just want to read this to you sure. and see what you think. Um User Chalancel says, I attended a Cisco networking class where the instructor talked about this sort of thing. He'd been deploying network equipment throughout Africa, and in some places there was no way to keep copper wires from being stolen. So in at least one installation, they ran X.25 over barbed wire, and X.25 is uh, a standard, like a packet, uh, a, a, a wide area network, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a very rudimentary internet, basically. Uh, that's amazing, and I can't imagine a better testament to the brilliance of this sort of application. A wire is a wire. Is a wire is a wire. I hope this is deployed in more areas of the world. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. 
So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Uh, in the case of the U.S. barbed wire telephone system, we know that it persisted much, much longer than you might typically imagine. Like into the 70s, especially some places in like Texas, I want to say. Yes, yes, you're spot on. So there's uh, Eckhart in this article has a, a pretty, pretty chuckle-worthy description of his difficulty calling his parents who still used a barbed wire system into the 70s. So this is definitely rural Texas. He said his parents lived in a place called Liberty Hill, north and west of Austin, 
And outside the system, their own cooperative system, their phone number was, get this, 37. Just that. That has been the 37th couple to get a phone? I guess so, yeah. You're, you're probably right, actually. And uh, inside their barbed wire system, their uh, phone number was three longs and a short. And when this guy was calling his parents, he would have to ring an operator in Dallas and tell her that he was calling Liberty Hill, Texas. She would say, where is it? He would say, it's in Williamson County. It's, you know, here in relation to Austin. She would say, that's area code 512. You can dial the number correct. And he would have to say, no, believe me, I can't. I do this all the time. And she would say, what's the number? And he'd say 37. And she would say, sir, that's not a telephone number. So he would have to tell her to call somebody and then they would dial in. And this, the strange thing is to me, though, that these systems were able to work with the modern 1970s era telephone system. It's very cool. And thus ends the story, for now at least, of the time farmers used barbed wire to, you know, start a party line. Party all the time on the rural party line. <laughs> Are we going to do some rural party line voices? It's actually kind of tough for me to say rural. It's like rural juror. Rural juror. Yeah. Well, you did a good job, but it sounded very unnatural, Ben. It's hard to say, like, in the conversation, rural juror, rural uh, juror. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Our, our friend Scott Benjamin is haunted by that phrase, by the way. I bet he is. And speaking of communication, we can't think of a better way to close out this episode than with a little listener mail. What do you say, Noel? I love it. Ben, how about you go first? All right, sure thing. So our first letter arrives from Chris J. And Chris J. says, Hey, guys, I just got done listening to your Wild West episode, and I thought it was great. I work at an archive in Wyoming, and we hold all sorts of collections related to the Wild West, like some papers of Buffalo Bill Cody or Alfred Jacob Miller, who painted some of the first images of the West. Myth and West, says Christ, go hand in hand. It is so pervasive that the Wyoming state government officially, and to some of us grown worthily, adopted the Codes of the West, which is essentially the idea of how to live like a cowboy, the mythologized version at least. These myths are everywhere, out here mainly because it's become a source of tourism and is what people like to see when they travel in this area, even though we're not all cowboys and we don't all ride horses. For better or worse, this myth is here to stay, despite exhaustive efforts by many historians and archivists to dispel it. One topic, Chris says, that I thought I might suggest along the same lines as the Wild West, that is actually Wild West, is something called the Johnson County War. I've, I've never heard of this, Noel, of you. I have not. Essentially, in the late 1800s, a group of cattle barons who were also in the government were trying to take back land they perceived to be theirs, even though it clearly belonged to settlers and small ranchers. Through a series of events, including lynchings, cattle rustling, corruption, and outlaws, a war broke out between the townspeople of Buffalo, the surrounding area, and the cattle barons and their hired guns, culminating in a siege and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid-style shootout at a ranch house. Thought you guys might be interested. Keep up the good work and keep being ridiculous. You know, that makes me think of just bringing back this mythologizing of the Wild West. Mm. That scene in the Royal Tenenbaums where Owen Wilson's character is doing a reading from his book, his character Eli Cash. Mm -hmm. I had to look it up because I, I wanted to read it. Go for it. The crickets and the rust beetles scuttled among the nettles of the sage thicket. 
Vamanos, amigos, he whispered, and threw the busted leather flint craw over the loose weave of the saddlecock, and they rode on in the friscalating dusklight. <laughs> it sounds almost like a like a dig against Cormac it's McCarthy. It's McCarthy, dude. Yeah. I love it so much, man. But thank you very much, Chris J., for the lovely email. Um, and I've got one more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to stick with this Wild West theme. We've got one here from Dennis O. And he says, hey, troops, just a quick couple of thoughts. I love the show overall, by the way. While the Wild West wasn't wild by any stretch of Hollywood, that doesn't mean that there weren't firearms back then. Uh, And then he gives us a link to an Economist article. He says, the Economist article arguing against America's love affair with the gun actually shows that gun ownership in the latter part of the 19th century, especially on the frontier, was incredibly common. People had guns. Sure, of course. They, just like today, rarely used them to kill a stranger because he liked a different brand of rot gut than they did. Or salsa. Exactly. But my real reason for emailing you is that you should totally do a Credit Mobilier RH podcast. You reference $1,000 toilets and the like. Uh, Credit Mobilier may have invented that scam in the modern era. And that is a thing we talked about, uh, Ben, with crooked contractors and the kind of uh, things you see in The Sopranos with, mm-hmm. you know, laundering money by overcharging for relatively, typically inexpensive things. Absolutely. Yeah. He goes on to say, what you may not know is one of the chief congressional architects of the bribery scheme was Oaks Ames. Oaks. Now, there's a name you don't hear anymore. That is a good one. I like that. I think I might name my second-born Oaks. Oaks and his brother Oliver. Oaks and Oliver. That sounds like a comedy duo. Owned- I was thinking acoustic coffee shop. Band. Oh, that's very good. Like almost, you know, like a Simon and Garfunkel thing. Mm-hmm. Oaks and Oliver. Mm-hmm. They, they they didn't make it. Simon and Garfunkel overshadowed them. They're like Faulkner and Falcon. I very much like that. So, Oaks and Oliver um, owned the Ames Shovel Shop in Easton, Massachusetts. His uh, roots are in Easton, says Dennis. The Ames Shovel Shop invented the pointed tip curved blade shovel. Really? Uh, and it was that shovel that built the railroad and various hand-dug subways and also mined gold in California. So this shovel and these uh, these brothers, Ames, they figured into a lot of the episodes we've done of late, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. We have been on a bit of a Wild West frontier kick. Is there is there more to the story? It really is. This this letter just kind of keeps keeps giving. So he goes on to say, you had Congressman Ames involved in the bribing scandal, which overpaid for railroad supplies such as... Wait for it. The very shovels he was selling. (laughs) Further twist, the reason he did all of this wasn't to pad his own pocket or to scam the county. He was asked to take this over and complete the railroad at any cost by, wait for it, Abraham Lincoln. Dun, dun, dun. No, it was Abraham Lincoln. I didn't mean to end on a question mark. It was Abraham Lincoln. Abraham, honest Abe, he says. Wow, that puts a new spin on Mm. old honest Abe. Anybody who puts honest in their name is clearly a Decepticon. Well, it's sort of like when you're like a gangster and your name's tiny. It usually means you're a big bruiser. Or like the old prison joke where, you know, the toughest guy in the, in the, facility has a name like Smurf. Yeah. Or Baby Cakes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Dennis finishes by saying, the Credit Mobilier story is fascinating. Ames was never really vilified for it. Still a hometown hero. And he got the railroad built. Uh, there is a monument to him and his brother out near Laramie, Wyoming. Of course, several years after it was built, they moved the railroad and it has sat alone for the last 130 years or so. That's it. Enjoy. Have a great weekend. Hasta bombasta and all that. <laughs> Dennis O. 
Thank you so much for writing to us, Dennis, and you as well, Chris. Uh, we immensely appreciate it. And this concludes our Lister Mail, but not our show. If you would like to learn more about barbed wire specifically, check out an episode of Stuff of Genius about barbed wire's inventor. Little Easter egg for you. It's voiced by our own longtime uh, best friend Matt Frederick. Tell you know what. Tell them that we sent you. <laughs> yeah, just yell that at the at the laptop screen. He'll, right. he'll, he'll hear you in his heart. But for now, we're going to have to ride off into our own friskalating dusk light. But in the meantime, you can write to us at RidiculousHowStuffWorks.com. You can hit us up on social media where we are Ridiculous History on Instagram, Facebook, um, the other stuff. The Ben's Friendster is popping off, man, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah, it's the new GeoCities. That's what I hear. Um, and, of course, we'd like to thank our super producer, Casey Pegram, for putting up with us uh to the bitter end. Our long-suffering producer, as well as our regular contributor, Lori L. Dove, who wrote Ridiculous History, Ranchers Hacked Barbed Wire Fences to Create Phone Lines, and our composer, I like that we can say we have our composer, mm -hmm. Alex Williams, uh, the incomparable, and most importantly, you, friends and neighbors, uh, fellow farm cooperative fans, thanks for giving us a listen. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.